Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to LGBTQ America. My name is Brendan Carmody. We want to welcome our listeners inside the United States and around the world. Hello. Um, our guests today are Rob Watson and Roddy Biggs. We have a big show for you. Um, but first, we want to give you some noteworthy and sad news. Norma McCorvey, lesbian pioneer of American abortion rights, died at age 69 this week. McCorvey, pseudonym Jane Roe, paved the way for abortion rights in America in the landmark Roe v. Wade case legalizing nationwide abortion. So at a time when women's reproductive and abortion rights again dominate the conversation, we want to make sure that we pay homage to Norma's contribution to the women of this country in the landmark Supreme case of Roe v. Wade, which is the current settled law, shall we say, for the foreseeable future. So rest in peace, Norma. Now, uh, moving on to our first guest, the Human Rights Campaign has announced their HRC Youth Ambassadors, and we are proud to announce that one of our very own has been selected. Uh, Roddy Biggs is a proud LGBTQ advocate working to end bullying and promoting suicide awareness. When he came out as gay at age 12, supporting was not always there. He was often bullied for his sexuality and attempted suicide. As a survivor of a suicide attempt, Roddy works to promote the message that life gets better. Bullies should not be allowed to make you believe untrue things about yourself. His powerful message is that there is hope in the darkness, and it is important to never give up on your life. He is now a host for Gay News America. He's the East Chapter Leader of Tennessee Glisten and a Youth Ambassador for the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, Roddy Biggs, congratulations on becoming an HRC Youth Ambassador. Thanks, Brandon. It's an amazing honor. The Human Rights Campaign is a great organization, and I'm extremely honored to be able to represent them as a Youth Ambassador. Definitely. Now, can you tell us and our listeners about the role of an HRC Youth Ambassador? Yeah. So the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's Youth Wellbeing Program is the organization that helps put this together. And Youth Ambassadors are advocates that represent HRC Foundation by adding our voices and experiences to raise awareness of the most pressing issues facing LGBTQ youth. Definitely. Now, you're going to be going to a big event for them as part of your first official duty entitled Thrive, which is the name of the conference in April. What can you tell our listeners about Thrive and the conference? Absolutely. So Time to Thrive, which is the last weekend in April, which is hosted in Washington, D.C., is a national conference that's the first time the youth ambassadors are actually seen and talk talk to. And so this year they're honoring Katie Couric, who we all know just came out with Gender Revolution, which was amazing. And so during the course of the conference, the youth ambassadors have a chance to connect with the community, learn more about what the community needs, as well as attending workshops, conferences, lectures, and just being a face of the HRC Youth Ambassador Program. Definitely. And and I just want to make sure that we say this loud and clear. Uh, the Human Rights Campaign 
is a pivotal and vital part of this LGBTQ community, and they have been for many years. Um, I am so pleased and so honored for you, Roddy, to hear that you're going to be working with HRC, um, Gay News America, and all of us give our full support to HRC. I am a member. Uh, I'm sure you are thrilled. Absolutely. Okay. Now, we had planned to have uh, Zachary Mallory, they, them, theirs, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, come on today, but he had some things come up and sadly will not be joining us today, but we have a clip. Um, Zachary Mallory is a suicide attempt survivor and is an award-winning mental health, suicide prevention, and LGBTQ advocate. They're the founder and president of Voice Matters Project, and they volunteer for other organizations, including the Peyton Hart Project, Red Cross, and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Zachary is dedicated to raising awareness about the issues surrounding our community and sharing our story in hopes of inspiring others to do the same. So we have a clip here where Zachary was receiving an award from the Shepherd Foundation. Let's take a listen. Thank you. Uh, first and foremost, thank you. I'm extremely nervous. Um, to the Matthew Shepard Foundation for this incredible honor. It's been a rough road, but here I am. A few years ago, I never thought I would even begin to have this opportunity because I felt like my life was coming to an end. At the age of 14, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, manic depression, and pre-schizophrenia. As the time went on, and I was put in mental institutions and tried on different medications, I felt so alone and helpless that I attempted suicide three times, and each time I had a different method. Suicide is the leading cause of death amongst LGBTQ youth. According to statistics, suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people ages 10 to 24 years of age. Each episode of LGBT victimization, such as physical or verbal harassment or abuse, increases the likelihood of self-harming behavior by 2.5 times on average. In my own personal experience, self-harm was a way for me to release the tension and a way to, sorry, and a way to make myself feel better. It felt like I was alone in a world filled with people who could care less if I was alive or dead, like I didn't even exist. When I went to school, that's when my emotions and feelings started running haywire and I never really paid attention to my classes and I was always messing around and never really cared. The real reason I finally came out to why I never cared and it was because I didn't feel like I was accepted by the students or the staff. I would sit by myself at lunch wishing I had one person who understood me and what I was feeling. The one person who understood me sadly passed away in February of 2014, and that was my grandma. My grandma always understood me and helped me through some of my darkest times, and I am forever grateful that I had someone who helped me understand that I am not alone and that I have a purpose in life. Luckily, I've always had parents who have been supportive of me and have always encouraged me to keep a level head on my shoulders and always pushed me to be myself and always to be there for me even whenever times are rough. Thank you again for this honor. I hope we can all work together to support queer youth and erase hate.
Uh, once again, that was Zachary Mallory you're hearing from, and uh, I want to, again, offer our congratulations to Zachary and Roddy becoming HRC Youth Ambassadors. Congratulations. Now, Laverne Cox has a new show on CBS titled Doubt, and it's also being reported that her character is going to soon get a groundbreaking TV romance. So here for more about Laverne Cox, um, I have Rob Watson. Rob Watson is a radio host, executive editor of The Goodman Project, writer, pundit, blogger, columnist, well-known for Gay Dad's Sound Off, and just all-around awesome guy, um, Mr. Rob Watson, um, host of Out in Santa Cruz. Welcome back to LGBTQ America. Thanks, guys. Great to be here, and really huge, huge congratulations to Roddy. That is really exciting news, and I can't wait to hear his work as a, an ambassador. Um, good choice on HRC's part. Um, but I am so excited about Laverne Cox on so many different levels. Um, her new show should be super, super exciting. Um, it's called Doubt. Uh, the, I personally am, am thrilled because I love this kind of show. It's the courtroom drama um, type with um, mm-hmm. different cases that come up and you know the personal lives of the lawyers that fight them and um, I'm I'm a fan way back from the L.A. Law days to um, Law and Order and all the different shows that have come out through the years. Um, one of which, which is a personal guilty pleasure of mine, is Drop Dead Diva, where um, um, that was sort of incorporated into a romance drama fantasy type venue. But the significant thing about Laverne Cox's show is that this is the first time that one of the the main regular characters is transgender. And I'll even go further, and I haven't done my exact research on this, but in my fandom of all these kind of shows, I do not remember a regular gay lawyer, a regular lesbian lawyer, a regular bisexual lawyer. I think that Laverne is actually breaking the ceiling here for LGBT characters altogether. And, of course, um, you know, the uh, intersectionality of of who she is um, and the different um, groups that she represents is significant. Um, Laverne has also gone, spoken very eloquently about um, the movie Hidden Figures, and I just saw this movie last night, so it's very fresh for me. And I actually thought about this as I was watching that movie before I even read her comments. But in the movie, one of the main characters, um, it centers around three African-American women who are working for NASA, their different roles, and how they excel in NASA um, despite the prejudice, despite the Jim Crow laws, despite all of the oppression that they have to endure for being who they are and they excel and they are assertive and each one of them makes significant breakthroughs and um, becomes landmark uh, contributors to the whole NASA program. But the one part of the movie that is particularly poignant is um, the one main character is in a hugely, hugely critical role with NASA figuring out the math behind John Glenn's entry and trajectory and everything about his uh, proposed mission. 
that are life and death. I mean, they the they have to figure it down to the the utmost figure. Um, and she is has proving herself to be foremost in doing that. But because the restrooms for her that that she can only use the colored woman's restroom is half a mile away from her office. When she has to go to the restroom, she has to gather up her her belongings and run to the restroom half a mile away, do wow. her business, gather up her stuff, and run back. And Kevin Costner is her oblivious boss and comes out and sees she is again gone and is it is pouring rain, wondering where the hell she is. She comes in soaking wet. He lays into her in front of the whole crowd about what the hell are you doing? And she points out to him her dilemma about using the restroom. And his reaction in this situation where somebody so critical is being treated this way, um, and then he takes matters into his own hands um, around this. But Laverne pointed out how significant this scene and this situation in this movie is in speaking to the bathroom situation that is being thrust upon transgender people in this country right now. And her point, and this is the point in my opinion, is this is not about restrooms. This is about erasing a group of people from public view. This is putting them into this marginalized position where in order for them to to just function, they have to run and find their place somewhere else out of view from the rest of society. And that is what this is really about. And that is why this issue is, number one, ridiculous, that, that this is being forced upon transgender people at all. But it is also why the justifications of it are so flimsy. I mean, why privacy in a bathroom should be violated no matter who else is in it um, is, is really key if you get down to the details of this issue. And the reason people are fighting for it is not really because of that. It's because transgender people are being sought after to be put to the sideline, being made invisible, and that is the ultimate goal. And that is why the Supreme Court case and all of the things that are being done to fight it are so important. Excellent. And let's let's bring in that, that story. So Laverne Cox at the, um, I believe at the Grammys, basically told everyone to Google Gavin Grimm, said he's going to the Supreme Court in March, hashtag stand with Gavin, Cox told the audience. Cox signed off in her introduction by referring to, ladies and gentlemen, on all my gender non-binary peeps tonight. So Gavin Grimm is a 17-year-old who is at the heart of the upcoming Supreme Court case surrounding transgender and bathroom access the first time the Supreme Court will hear a case about transgender rights. So long story short, Grimm sued the Gloucester County School Board in 2015 in federal court policy barring him from the boys' bathroom violated Title IX, um, the federal law against sex discrimination in schools. The case is now headed to the Supreme Court with oral arguments scheduled for late March. This is coming up next month. This could impact how public schools accommodate transgender students across the nation. Um, I want to play a clip. This is um, Gavin Grimm and Laverne Cox met up just the other night. So I just want to give 
everyone uh, a brief glimpse into the when they met the other night and how supportive Laverne has been of Gavin Grimm. There is going to be an audio issue because the uh, I think the vibrate feature was still on on the cell phone, so bear with it, okay? We just um, had a nice talk with Laverne and uh, a, a nice evening spent together, and I just wanted to update everybody on my public page um, that's following and let y'all know who I got to meet. Yeah. I'm so inspired by Gavin. The moment I heard about his story, the moment I heard about your story, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this young man is so incredibly brave. And the message I sent to you back, whenever that was, mm-hmm. was that often in our country, it is one person who didn't want to be famous, didn't want to be of note, but stood up for what was right, and they changed the course of history. And I think that could be you, Gavin. I think that is you. Well, I hope so. I hope this is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But, all right. Um, thank it's you, always everybody. a good thing when you stand up for yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's the message here. Okay. Uh, Roddy Biggs, I want to bring you back into the discussion. Thank you for your patience. Um, what do you know, and what do you want to add to the conversation about the Gavin Graham Supreme Court case? So, whether it's Gavin Graham or so many other trans youth in our nation, no one, and I don't care who you are, has the right to tell someone what bathroom they can use or not. In 2017, what's most important is that all youth, no matter straight, gay, lesbian, trans, whoever, feel that they can use the bathroom that they feel best aligns with their gender identity. And honestly, if you know someone's in the bathroom who is not the gender identity that is typically associated with it, in my opinion, you're probably doing something wrong. So I applaud Gavin for everything he's doing. Laverne Cox has been a great role model for him. And I just would hope the Supreme Court will hear his story and learn from it and realize that this is no different than segregation of black and white in bathrooms and that it's just time that we all own up to the fact that not everyone is even and not everyone falls into this binary sociologically developed idea of what gender is and that we just drop the bathroom situation and it doesn't become a big deal because in my eyes it's never been a big deal it's only a big deal because people make it a big deal and because they are so afraid of change and the unknown that they drill on stuff like this other than focusing on suicide prevention or focusing on gun violence or focusing on rates of obesity in this nation and all these things that people could actually be focusing on or focusing on making sure that LGBTQ youth are safe in schools. But no, you're going to get hung up on a bathroom bill because that makes sense. So like I said, I just hope the Supreme Court listens and understands like they did in the marriage equality case and that pretty soon this won't even be something we're talking about. Rob Watson, you are more learned than I in these matters. Um, There have been several state bills, obviously North Carolina being the most controversial and the most expensive for their state (laughs) um, in terms of that uh, anti-trans legislation that was passed, which they can't seem to repeal. 
do you think that a Supreme Court case that they make precedent will sort of trump all of those state bills, kind of like what happened with the gay marriage decision in 2015, like no matter what was happening with gay marriage in the states, once that Supreme Court came down, that was that was it. That made federal law, right? Uh, yes, it would. Um, it depends, however, on the ruling itself. Um, in theory, again, um, Justice Kennedy would probably be the swing vote, although um, the court now would be, if he wasn't, would be split four to four. Um, and that would then depend on what the case was right before um, the the case got to the Supreme Court. I believe that the court before this ruled against um, Gavin, which means that uh, a four to four split would not be a good thing. Um, but the ruling itself is the thing that could be um, significant um, or not significant. Um, the the Supreme Court has written up rulings that have been murky, they have been inconclusive, and so um, the devil is really, really, really in the detail on how that would come out. It is vitally important. Um, there are, as I understand it, about 70 different anti-LGBT bills, many of them around bathroom-type bills in different state legislatures right now in 24 states. So, um, you know, North Carolina is not going to be the only one. There are a lot of red states that are, are hankering down for this. Um, the, the Trump anti-quote-unquote political correctness crowd um, in these states are um, feeling confident and bold, and they're pushing their agendas hard. So uh, we have to be vigilant. Um, it is very difficult because um, on these state levels, the people who are making these decisions, the state legislatures involved in them, are mostly going to listen to their own state constituencies. So that means that people like me from California who wants to affect them uh, we have a tougher time because we're not seen as you know part of the constituency like in Tennessee where I know a couple of these bills are already um, in play. So we have to watch out, look, work with local um, equality movements in those states and see what we can do to help. Definitely, definitely. And uh, just briefly delving into politics, as we know, you know, um, the gays for Trump and all of the folks that we had previously on this show told us and sold us on the message that President Donald Trump was going to be huge, man. It was going to be the most positive uh, LGBT president coming into office. And so far, you know, to give him credit, we know that there was that one drafted executive order that's rumored that Ivanka and Jared Kushner had a great deal of involvement with talking them out of the executive order, which would have affected, uh, it officially would have been a religious freedom, but it would have been a license to discriminate against us. If, if you all can just shake your heads or nod your head and agree with me, it would have been a license to discriminate, but they didn't sign it. So all these bills we're seeing right now are not directly coming from Trump. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not um, they tacitly, approve it and just don't say anything, if you know what I mean. Um, does anyone have any comment on the the different branches of our government and who might really be behind all of this? <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. I've got a comment on a couple, couple of aspects of this. 
Um, one is um, Ivanka and her husband are very connected with um, the gay community in New York. They are also um, very attuned with the millennial um, uh, mindset, if you will. And so they did, they are proponents and they did fight it within the Trump administration. The Trump administration has got a lot of factors fighting internally. So they are not a united front and there are different um, uh, special interests going on in there. Um, Ivanka and her husband, from an LGBT perspective, um, did step up for us. And, and I think kudos to them for having done so. Um, however, the um, religious right and the alt-right are fighting to have, quote-unquote, religious freedom done through the legislature, the, the Republican-controlled Congress, which I understand there are very few um, stops there to keep that from happening. Should that come across, Trump is likely not to veto it or fight it. Um, and I don't think that Ivanka and her husband will be effective if they are lobbying for him to do so. Because at that point, I think he will just sort of sign off on it and blame it on Congress. You know, it, it, um, he, is, he is not the worst from the LGBT perspective in office. Um, he did not ride in on a wave of um, demonizing us as George W. Bush did. However, he is not a friend. He has populated the government, populated it with people who are very much our, our adversaries and um, would like to set us back as quickly and as effectively as they can. Um, and I don't think he is going to be a big hero in stopping them. So um, we need to be vigilant all the way around. Definitely. Roddy Biggs, I have a question for you. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which, of course, tracks hate crimes in this country, um, shocking statistics in their most current report, the number of hate groups in the United States rose for a second year in a row in 2016 as the radical right was energized by the candidacy of Donald Trump. This is quoting Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, so they're reporting, again, more uptick in hate crimes. I know that we've had these conversations about bullying and things that we've seen on Twitter, and thankfully we want to give Twitter some credit for trying to engage with us and stopping these bullies. But, uh, Roddy, will you just speak to that? Like, you and I have both seen personal hate attacks on the Internet and seen it happen to others. It, it seems like it has really increased since the election season. That's, that's a fair statement, isn't it? It is a fair statement, and it's a very sad fair statement. But hate crimes have certainly increased, and they're more and more increasing on platforms like social media or random blogs that appear places. And my best advice for people who are going through them is to do the best you can to ignore and not engage because what they are doing is they're trolling you and they're wanting you to engage with them. So by us just sitting back, looking at it, and then moving on and not engaging, not commenting on it, or not showing that it's affecting us and continuing doing our everyday activities, we're winning. It may not look like it at the time, but eventually, if enough people don't respond, they have no one to attack because no one's paying attention to them. 
and they'll move on to something else and move on to a different group of people who are giving them reactions, which is a very hard thing to grasp. But the really best advice I have is what I've had to learn to do is not engage and not let it get to you. You know who you are. You know what you stand for. And we all have to continue doing what we believe and fighting for what we believe and not letting anyone stop us or define us. I want to take it to the classroom. Rob Watson, um, Southern Poverty Law Center, did a survey of 10,000 educators. 90% of them said the climate in their schools has been negatively affected by the campaign. 80% described heightened anxiety and fear among students, particularly immigrants, Muslims, and African-Americans. Numerous teachers report the use of slurs, derogatory language, and extremist symbols. Uh, you are a parent of two teenage boys. Um, I mean, do they describe to you anything that they're seeing, witnessing, or experiencing in this environment? Um, my sons have, and for whatever reason, um, they seem to be in a fairly progressive group. Um, and so the the reaction there is not quite um it, it is the anxiety level i would say is definitely up but um it is more resistant to trump than than um demonizing any um ethnic group or um encouraging anything like that however i will tell you that the area i live in um we have a very big farming community um uh there is a very large latino population in our southern county and we have had raids and um, uh, rounding up of immigrants here going on under the guise of, of oh regular um, ICE um, activity but it is happening um, and uh, people who have friends and who are in the community and you know they know of people um, there is a level of fear in the population that I have never seen before in my entire life. And that's directly as a result of the executive order signed by President Trump, um, which has, you know, it started with the seven-state travel ban, which <laughs> was ruled unconstitutional, and uh, he's not appealing, but supposedly another order is coming. Um, so this leads us down the rabbit trail into – uh, so first, there was a press conference. I'm sure we all know about the press conference that President Trump held. Um, basically, 77 minutes of taking the media on. And I, I, you guys, I do not watch as much TV reportedly as Trump himself. There's literally leaks coming out of the White House saying he watches six hours of cable news a day, and he's taking notes. That, that's a little bit much, but I do watch quite a bit. And all of the talking heads made a very clear point America is divided right down the middle. You guys, it's like it's like cutting a cake or something. We could take the knife right down the middle, and the half of us that are just abhorred and disgusted by that press conference thought it was off the rails, out of control. There is this whole other, you know, right-hand side of this equation that was cheering at their televisions. Their president's delivering on promises. He's calling out the media as liars. So this environment is still just so charged. The static electricity is like in the air. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> but um, he's also back on tour. Did anyone else catch that? He, he's back out campaigning in Florida, bringing in rally crowds again. Uh, are we back in the campaign season, a month into the job? What's going on here, guys? 
Well, it's it's actually pretty scary because the um, thing that is being encouraged is people who want to live in the two-minute soundbite world, that want reality TV, that want that you know everything to be simple. You know, they do want they do not want have patience for nuance. Um, you know, they want to be able to say whatever they want to say, even if it is derogatory to other people and not be called out on it. I mean, that is what he is feeding into. And, um, you know, not to be alarmist, but that's the same concepts and same, you know, principles that were laid down in the early days of Nazi Germany, where it's like, you know, we want to be first. We want to be, you know, we, we don't want to deal with, you know, a nuance of an integrated society. We, you know, we just want them out. We want what we want. We want ours. And that is the environment he is encouraging. It is um, actually appalling that uh, the leader of the free world would sit obsessed with television and obsessed with coverage of himself. It's like psychotic, um, you know, well, and you know, that, that's yeah. what our I, situation I just, is. I just want to steal a line from Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you guys. When, when Julia Louis-Dreyfus accepted her last award for Veep and she got up there and she said, I'm so sorry, America. I'm so sorry about your election. Well, to all of our listeners and, and people that follow our social media for Gay News America, we have to tweet about President Trump. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really, really wish that we had arrived at any other outcome. But for us to just um, show pictures of cats or talk about us, like we would just not be doing our jobs as journalists. So as difficult as it is, we can't all look away. Some of us can look away, but but the greater part of the population needs to not look away, especially when there's this brewing controversy that could lead to potential scandals bigger than Watergate. But we're not going to go down that rabbit trail. Do we, do we do need to talk about Milo? But um, Roddy, I just want to say one thing. I did. I actually made a Twitter list that was just all LGBT news. I was like, okay, let's just look at this and we'll find some non-Trump stories. And half of the stories on the LGBTQ news sites were all about Trump. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> there we go. We can't even just go to those news agencies and pretend he's not there. He's everywhere. So I'm sorry. Now we're going to talk about something joyful. We're going to talk about Milo. <laughs> so <laughs> Milo Yiannopoulos is a British journalist, author, entrepreneur, public speaker, and senior editor for Breitbart News. He is a far-right news and opinion website based in the United States. He's the author of the book, Dangerous. As I'm sure you all know, um, there was an incident at UC Berkeley a couple weeks ago where he was going to give a speech, and the protesters practically burned the place down. He was rushed out by security. So Bill Maher invited him on to have some panel discussions this week. Um, we're... We're going to play the gentler of the two clips of Milo with Bill, but I do want to give Bill both a kudos and kind of a err. The kudos are for trying to keep Milo honest and trying to take him to task. Where I'm disappointed in Bill Maher is that if this man really just represents the alt-right and hate speech, he doesn't deserve a forum on HBO. That's my personal opinion, but I'm going to ask you guys to get your response at the end of this clip from Milo. And Bill Maher. Here we go. But so let's start with the contradictions about you, which is pretty crazy because you're 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 gay and you're. Uh... <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh... Oh come on! You can do better than that. 
um, what tipped you off? I, um, I've been reading about you. I mean, your mother's Jewish. You have a, you have a black Muslim boyfriend. No, but I haven't well, got one now. But you did. Still black, not Muslim. Not Muslim, but he was Muslim? I, there was somebody once. Okay. But you spoke we don't out talk a, about it. We, you've spoken out against all these uh, people. Like you say you don't no, hire gay no. people. Oh, no, you can't trust them to show up to work on time. Too much drugs, too much sex, they never show up to work, always making excuses. No, no, no. I mean, not but, as bad as women, but no, I don't hire But gay. you know that's not... I mean, oh, there we go. <laughs> but, you know, that's just... Just kidding. You're easy. You're very easy. Very easily triggered. It's pathetic. That, well, let's get to that. I was... I, there's so many things I could start an argument with you about, but... <laughs> let, because I know gay people who do show up to work. Okay, but... Uh, <laughs> yes, but that, that is the... the that is the... The, the reaction... You are so, um, let's say, helped by the fact that liberals just always take the bait. Of course. Now, of you're course. a conservative. I'm a liberal. Well, That's the I mean, difference. I, don't know, I don't know if I'm conservative. I mean, I'm a Well, you work, Bright, I'm a you work for Breitbart, and you're a Trump supporter. Well, it's interesting, you're a that, conservative. Well, it's interesting that the radical gay editorials, you know, saying interesting, provocative things about gays are now being published by Breitbart. And I don't think, really, that you can call Trump a traditional conservative. He's not that Republican. No, you're correct about that. So I don't know he's if that's very, he's all very I care about. All I, I care about is free speech and free expression. I want people to be able to be, well, I, do, and say yeah, I, anything. You know These what? days, you're right. That's a conservative. I position. care about. Okay, uh, Roddy Biggs, I'm coming over to you first. So Milo Yiannopoulos says that he believes in free speech, and that's all he cares about. First of all, do you believe him? I do. What is your take on this guy? I'm I'm still trying to understand what what we're seeing, what we're hearing from this man, and and what's with all these contradictions. Like, what do you see when you hear from this man? What what's your impressions here? I see someone who's really doing nothing different than what we're doing, but on the other side. So he does believe in free speech. We believe in free speech. But those two drastically different approaches that you can take to free speech, you can take the approach of, yes, you do have free speech, but why would you use it to hurt someone? Or you can take the approach of, I have free speech, and I don't care if I hurt someone along the way. And that's what I get out of him. That's exactly it. And that's the clip that we're not going to play. Um, Bill Maher asked him about a transgender student that he specifically called out at a rally that he misgendered. He didn't care if he was disrespectful to that individual. He called someone out by name. So naming individuals, um, does that concern you? I mean, that, that is essentially hate speech, to call people out by name, misgender them, not care how their feelings are impacted, uh, right? This is the form of hate speech. Absolutely. Any time where you're gets in the way of your moral obligations and human decency to the point where you do not care about someone else and you're only so focused on getting your free speech out there and sharing what you believe and what you think but are totally ignoring that you're hurting people. That's not free speech to me. That's targeted hate and it's discrimination and it should be against the law. Definitely. Rob Watson, um, there was even a panelist that dropped off that was booked to appear on this episode of Real Time with Bill Maher. 
Um, there are, again, the protests at UC Berkeley and other things of that nature. Um, I just want to say one thing, and I'll get your response. I wanted to like this Milo. I wanted to go in and give him a fair chance. And in the first half of the interview, it started out kind of light, and you can hear the audience laughing, and Bill is kind of light with him. But if you see this disastrous second half of his appearance from just Friday night, this is just his appearance on Bill Maher, he just, it's like he took the uh, Cobra Commander helmet off and basically revealed his true colors. There is no sensitivity to LGBTQ anything. And comedian Larry Wilmore ended up basically telling him to go F himself on television. Um, do you think that that's the real Milo, what, what we saw in the second half and what the audience would have seen at UC Berkeley? That's the Milo they know? I, I think there, is, uh, there are two things going on with Milo. Uh, one is I, and the question you asked Roddy, um, yeah, I think that is what Milo is about. He wants he's a provocateur, um, which puts him in the same, you know, cloth as Donald Trump. Um, Milo is taking it to the extreme. He wants the right to be able to say anything, anywhere that he pleases. And the, um, what happens is we see this split on the issue with him. One is the people who want free speech and, and hold that as a value, like Bill Maher, and that was what Bill Maher mainly focused on. He brought up Joan Rivers in the conversation and pointed out that uh, President Obama had, when Joan Rivers died, had called her a national treasure and da-da-da. And then he, mm-hmm. next breath, he brought up the joke that Joan had made about um, Michelle Obama and, you know, said she was, uh, uh, you know, and all that. Well, but that's completely out of context. And, you know, it, it is taking somebody who is taking shock humor and that's what she did and um, leveraging that. And then you have Milo who is doing that. He, he's sort of this um, Trojan horse, in terms of the content of what he talks about. I mean, his derogatory comments about gay people, you know, as being oversexed and drugged and don't show up on time. And, you know, it's like, it, it makes me wonder if he's ever been outside of a rave and, you know, uh, you know, that kind of environment and knows no other gay people, you know, and then that's who he is and what he is. But um, the, the people look at him, he is, you know, if if you look at his his presentation of himself on that show, um, and if he said that he identified as um, gender queer, I would have believed him, because he 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 doesn't seem tied into one gender expression. He seems you know more fluid than that. He you know uh, you know presents as a gay man. He you know, and yet he then confesses that we deserve no rights, we're, you know, inferior, we're disordered, you know, and and talks about us in that way. Well, that resonates with people who don't know gay people. You know, it's like it, it becomes credible to them that, you know, that's what gay people must really be like because, after all, here's one who presumably knows and he is confessing it all and, and putting it all out there. The attack on transgender people is just unconscionable, and um, you know it's it's it is hate speech. Um, his premise is that speech doesn't hurt; that you can say anything as horrible as you want, and that it in fact doesn't actually hurt people. 
when we know that isn't true. We know the psychological damage. We know the suicide damage. We know the effects of it. He is wrong, 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 and he is harmful in that way. Um, the repression of Milo and the suppression of him, to Bill Maher's point, um, in my opinion, isn't good. I want to confront him. I want to, you know, I want to tell him to fuck off. I want to tell him why yeah. he should be fucking off. I want to be very specific yeah. as to every point that he brings up, <laughs> why he is so wrong. You know, that is that is my take on, on Milo. Um, we had a discussion on my show out in Santa Cruz last night, and if anybody wants to hear the recording of that, you can go to J&J Dad on Twitter and the recording is in one of my recent tweets. But we talked about that, and I even said, you know, I'd have Milo on my show, you know, because I would confront every one of those things. They got into a ridiculous conversation about conservative and liberal, and, you know, they love, you know, Bill Maher is as bad as this as anybody, and, and he, it's sort of the Ann Coulter speak, you know, that, you know, the liberals, the liberals think this, the liberals think that, the conservatives think this. Conservatives think that. It's all nonsense. It's two-dimensional. It's generalizations. It's not true. Um, and the, uh, you know, it, that is what it becomes all about. And, you know, then they fashion somebody like Milo as a hero because he is so brave to speak out when he's being oppressed from speaking his mind. And, in fact, it's, you know, should somebody have to be given the forum to spew hate speech unconfronted, and that's the issue. And you know, it's if he is going to speak his hate speech, my opinion is I'm not going to repress that, but I do want it confronted, every syllable of it. Yeah, I, I do want to give one comment on Bill Maher. So I signed up for a 30-day trial on an HBO app on my iPhone like a week ago because I wanted to see everybody was talking about this episode where this comedian went off on Pierce Morgan and I detest Pierce Morgan. So I got this app specifically so I could see last week's episode. And last, last week's episode ended up with Pierce Morgan being controversial and saying there was no Muslim ban and the comedian basically being like, fuck off, fuck off. And so last night's episode with Milo Yiannopoulos, he pissed everybody off so much to the point where Larry was like, fuck you. So in the two weeks that I've been watching Bill Maher, Bill Maher has had some inflammatory person on for two weeks in a row that the panel is basically telling, you know, that they're out of their mind and telling them to F off. So I, I may cancel that trial if Bill Maher is going to be the only reason I send it for HBO. <laughs> but it is entertaining, yeah, it, too. It's sad, though, that these conversations are getting down to that where the answer to one side is fuck off to the other side. I mean, that, that yeah. isn't a conversation. That isn't a debate. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it is warranted because Milo, for all his, his claims of being information-based and discussing and, and all that stuff, isn't. I mean, he's he's um, inflammatory, and when you confront him with facts and you, you, you try to corner him in the discussion, he tells you're an idiot and you're stupid. I mean, it's so, you know, it's this childishness around the conversation as well that, that needs to be monitored and it needs to be called out. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his generalizations about gay people and women and all that sort of stuff um, that needs to be confronted. That's you know that's Definitely. that isn't okay. 
I, I know for me personally and what I represent as a gay dad, I am bashing myself publicly as the anti-Milo. You know, he's all you know, genderqueer, gay, in presentation with this core of um, um, backward, you know, regressive thinking on the inside. You know, I'm probably this progressive radical by com- uh, um, contrast on the inside, but have this very family values, you know, mom and pop, you know, lifestyle on the outside. So, you know, right. there you go. Well, Roddy Biggs, I'm going to tie this back into our interview that started that Thunderclap campaign um, to get Twitter to do more about hate speech. Um, Milo Yiannopoulos is permanently banned from Twitter. Again, listeners, you didn't hear it here first, but you're going to hear it here last. Let me say it again. Milo Yiannopoulos is permanently banned from Twitter. They made that announcement on July 21, 2016. It reads, Twitter permanently banned the conservative writer Milo Yiannopoulos as a crackdown on a wave of racist abuse targeting the Ghostbusters actor Leslie Jones. So he's off Twitter, um, yet uh, we're still dealing with folks like Milo and supporters. Um, Roddy, are you seeing any improvements, by the way, in the one week since Twitter says they've taken action? Have you seen, like, less hate speech on your Twitter? I have, and I actually earlier this week reported someone and got an email back from Twitter saying, due to the divisive nature of this account, we have locked the account and the user is no longer allowed on our server. So that was the first time I've ever actually gotten something back from them after reporting hundreds of accounts. So I think it's still turning their platform around, which is good. Okay. I, I do want to mention this. I, I hesitate to mention this, but I, I want to be fair. I want to be transparent. Um, Gainers Radio, I'm sorry, Gainers America, <laughs> we changed our name January 1st. My bad. <laughs> uh, so our station, we reported a user to the FBI and the Secret Service, and this is very serious, you guys. What I'm about to tell you is as serious as it gets. Um, do you remember a few weeks ago when Rep. John Lewis had called President Trump an illegitimate president, and then there was a tweet storm of thunder from President Trump. And so all of the conservatives that just loved Trump, just loved this man, basically they unleashed a tidal wave of heat. And so one of the users that was responding to us specifically made an assassination threat, not only against Rep. John Lewis, but she was talking about how snipers should be placed at the women's march all around the country so that women would go to the women's march, that snipers could take women out at will. I felt that it was my civic duty to the safety of all involved into this country to go to the highest levels and report that to the FBI and the Secret Service. So here's a follow-up. I've heard from this woman. She says she was arrested by Secret Service as a result of me reporting her. And um, you know what? I cannot say that I have any mixed feelings about that. Um, If she is telling me the truth, if Secret Service arrested her, processed her, released her, figured out it was just an empty threat, whatever happened to her in the Secret Service, that is due process because she made what, what I had in front of me at the time was a clear and present danger threat against the safety of a U.S. representative potentially thousands or millions of women that were going to go to the Women's March ahead of time. I had to act. I stand by what I did. Gay News America stands by the fact that we reported a user to the FBI and the Secret Service. If she went to jail, 
if she was unduly, whatever happened, I'm sorry, but you made an assassination threat. We stand by what we did. I hope you guys back me up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you didn't, you didn't create the crime. She committed the crime. If she, if she goes to jail, it isn't because something was fabricated around her. It's because she was simply outed for what she actually did. Definitely. And she's out. So uh, I don't know if she's out on bail or if they let her go, but um we will continue to follow that same process. And as Twitter, as Twitter listens to things like the Thunderclap campaign from Linda Riley, you know, the no to LGBT hate, and uh, Twitter gets on board with the fact that there's just rampant, dangerous, out-of-control hate happening on Twitter. Come on. I mean, Facebook is all over this. Um, I, I applaud Twitter for at least climbing aboard the train, you know, a little bit late, but climbing aboard the train. But um, I still personally block people all the time from the threats that I get. Um, so we're going to do some wrap-ups here. Uh, Roddy Biggs, uh, once again, our incredible and sincere congratulations on becoming an HRC Youth Ambassador. Um, do you want to go ahead and plug the conference for HRC? Sure. So i like to put out an invitation for any LGBTQ youth who might want to attend the conference or any youth professionals or adults who work with youth to attend the conference. You can find more information about the fourth annual Time to Thrive conference at timetothrive.org. And I know that I look forward to seeing all of you there. It's going to be a great conference. That's incredible. Thank you, Roddy. Uh, we will put that on our website, Time to Thrive and HRC. Uh, Rob Watson, um, I believe you're writing a book or two or three like I am. You uh, are an editor for the Goodman Project. You contribute to HuffPo. You got out of Santa Cruz. What, uh, what would you like to plug or talk about during this plug around the session? <laughs> well, uh, you can hear me on out in Santa Cruz um, on Saturday nights, um, and there are um, recordings of all past shows on kfco.com, or you can link through it through outinsantacruz.com. Um, I'm also on Thursday nights on Rated LGBT Radio on Blog Talk. You can just Google Rated LGBT Radio, um, and you'll find our past episodes on that. Um, I am writing a book on um, my Gay Dad Sounds Off um, uh, collection and my experiences through the equality years, um, becoming a gay dad and living through that, being an advocate, and everything that happened around that environment, really giving a snapshot into the grassroots social media um, environment that we all live through and I believe was the real um, unsung hero level of uh, the equality movement. So um, having been there and seen the heroes there, um, I'll be highlighting that in that book. Um, and then also my other book is actually a fictional book that um, I've hooked up with a, a, an artist. I fell in love with his work, and he inspired me for kind of a fanciful, magical-oriented story uh, line that um, I got uh, wrote a treatment up right away, and so that is sort of taking on a life of its own. Um, uh, but also my blog is evolequals.com, and as I put out articles, um, you can find them there. Terrific. All right. Well, I want to thank you both very much. Roddy Big, Rob Watson. Thank you, gentlemen. 
Um, we're going to close with a little bit of my story. Um, I don't often share this, but I think that if we're going to have this relationship together as host and audience, um, I think it's a little bit appropriate that I give my contribution from my life story. So as a young LGBT or questioning person myself 20 years ago, came into some controversial experiences and went through some emotional pain. And there was a point in my life 20 years ago where I felt some suicidal feelings myself, just just one time um, in a very specific moment. And so I understood exactly what a lot of people describe to where the emotion takes over. You feel like all the walls are closing in and like there are no other options. Well, I am here today, 20 years later. I love life. I love my God and I love the people in this life. And I'm so thankful that I made the choice that I did to live. So I just want to reinforce how valuable life is. Um, And we're going to finish out today's show with two things. Um, We have a PSA from Dr. Ron Holt that I'm going to play. And then I'm going to play a song that I did, which is about my experience. So first, let's hear from Dr. Ron Holt. Hi, this is Dr. Ron Holt, uh, and I am the author of the international best-selling book, Pride. You can't heal if you're hiding from yourself. That's currently available on Amazon. I just want all of you listeners out there to know that you are worthy of unconditional love and and acceptance, and that you are always uh, perfect just the way that you are. Okay, thank you, Dr. Ron Holt. Uh, Once again, my name is Brandon Carmody. You're listening to LGBTQ America. Our guests today were Roddy Biggs and Rob Watson. Uh, What you're going to hear right now is the song Lonely Dream. Um, It is by Brandon Carmody and Band with guest vocals by Casey Stratton. Uh, We were actually recording this song in August of 2001. When 9-11 occurred, it disrupted our studio sessions, and so the song was actually not completed until 2009, when Casey Stratton edited guest vocals, but this song is very personal for me. I wrote this song. This is entitled Lonely Train. I would be honored if you would take a listen and let me share through music what my experience means to me. Let me give this to you as a gift. Thank you. 